The Lord be with you. My wife, Annalisa, is over there with our baby, uh, Sophia. Annalisa, would you give a little wave? I'm pointing her out uh, because my wife is an educational psychologist. And what that means is she assesses young children to see if they're on the autism spectrum. In practical terms, what that means is if there's a young child, maybe about two years old, who is delayed in speaking or is ex- uh, expressing repetitive behavior or seems to be struggling with social interactions, the parents will bring that child to Annalisa. And what Annalisa will do is spend a few, ch- few hours with the child and, and she'll give the child toys and puzzles and in many ways it looks like Annalisa is playing with the kid. But what she's doing is she's looking for telltale signs of autism in the way that the kid behaves and interacts. And sometimes Annalisa will come home and she'll say she had a really hard day. And when I ask her about it, it's never the kids that are a problem. It's always the parents. Yeah? At this age, the kids are so young that the parents need to be in the room while Annalisa's doing her assessment. And when Annalisa asks the kid to do something, like interact with a toy in a certain way, and the kid doesn't do it, there are some parents who will want to jump in. They'll want to interfere, and they'll want to show the kid exactly how to do what Annalisa has asked them to do. Or if Annalisa's trying to get the kid to engage in some sort of social overture and the kid's not doing it, the parents will try to get the kid's attention. Right? They want the kid to pass the test. Even though at the end of the day, no matter what Annalisa says about this kid, their child is exactly the same before or after the assessment. Yeah? But for some parents, what they're really scared of is the label. And today in our gospel lesson, we hear about ten lepers who say to Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And what you need to understand about biblical leprosy is that for many people, the label was worse than the disease. And there's a reason for that. Uh, We'll get there in just a second, not quite yet. Um, There's a reason for that. And the reason is, in modern medicine, when we say leprosy, we're referring to a very specific bacterial infection of the skin that we call Hansen's disease today. And Hansen's disease, what it does is it slowly kills off your nerves, starting with your extremities so that your fingers and your toes will start falling off and your nose, and eventually it moves its way inward until you die. Praise be to God, modern antibiotics can clear it up no problem. Yeah, so it's it's not a modern problem. Um, But to say in the Bible, when the Bible uses the term leprosy, It's describing a spectrum of skin diseases. Yeah, some which indeed are fatal, like Hansen's disease, and some which are just annoying, maybe cause hair loss or they're itchy. But in the Bible, it says if someone has a white spot on their skin or they've got a rash or they've got swelling, what they're supposed to do is go visit the priest. And the priest will turn to Leviticus chapter 13. There's a whole chapter of the Bible dedicated to describing skin diseases. And so the priest goes through and, and reads through the Bible, and it says things like, you know, is the, is the spot uh, spreading on the skin? Is the hair in the spot changing color? Does the spot just affect the surface of the skin, or does it go down into the flesh? Right, and so the priest is reading through the Leviticus 13 and examining the flesh, and, 
And if the priest decides that this person has leprosy, right, that blanket term of leprosy, the priest declares this person to be unclean, and the person then has to go into exile. Now, because biblical leprosy can cover a variety of skin diseases, some of them will clear up on their own, right? So some people in the Bible get healed of leprosy just by waiting it out. And when they do, the Bible in chapter, Leviticus chapter 14 gives a way for that person to go back to the priest, show themselves again, and if they're healed, they are declared clean. And I've got this passage here from Leviticus 14 because I want to make a distinction between being healed and being made clean, and this passage spells it out, right? It says, this shall be the ritual for the leprous person at the time of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out of the camp. The priest shall make an examination. If the disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command that two living clean birds and cedar wood and crimson yarn and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. And so I want to make a distinction here between being healed and being cleansed. And on our next slide, it sums it up like this. Being healed is your physical status, yeah? Being cleansed is your social and spiritual status, right? If, you're, if your skin is all healed up, great, but you aren't cleansed, you aren't welcome back into the community unless you go see the priest and the priest has you go through this ritual. It serves two functions. One is to say, this person used to be shunned, but now this person is safe to welcome back into our community. But two, there was the belief that, look, if someone had leprosy, maybe it's because God was mad at them. And so we want to make sure that they go through a ritual to make sure they're okay with God before we let them back into our community. But here's the thing. It is possible to be healed and not be cleansed or to be cleansed and not be healed. For instance, right, if leprosy breaks out on you but you haven't seen the priest yet, you haven't yet been declared unclean. Or vice versa, if your skin heals up, but you haven't made it to see to the priest, you might be healed, but you're still declared unclean until you get that stamp of approval. Make sense? Okay. Healed, physical, cleansed, social. Yeah? But no matter what's going on with your body, if you are declared unclean, you are sent into exile. You are forced to hide. And what you are forced to hide is, first of all, your mouth. It says that you have to cover your upper lip, right? We've gotten really used to this in the pandemic. They knew that breathing droplets on people would spread disease, so they had lepers cover their mouth. It says you have to hide from society. Lepers were not allowed to live within the village. They had to live on the outskirts of town. You had to hide from society, not just in where you lived, but how you interacted with people. Lepers are required to shout everywhere they go, unclean, unclean, so that at a distance, people say, oh, no, I got to stay away from you. But perhaps worst of all, lepers are required to hide their dignity. Leviticus 13 says that if someone is declared unclean, they have to go around with their hair all messed up and their clothing torn. And the idea is you want to look so disfigured that even if you're not shouting that you're unclean, people from a distance see you and they're like, oh, I don't want to get near that person. This is the danger of the label that people are afraid of in the Bible. And it is a similar fear that many parents have when they come talk to Annalisa. 
Parents are afraid that if their child gets labeled with autism, they'll be forced to go into exile, right? They'll be forced to hide in a separate classroom or in a separate school. And they know that kids are mean, right? Kids are just always looking for a difference to pick on each other about. And they worry that if, if their child gets labeled as autistic, that'll be a bullseye on their kid's back and they'll be forced into social exile. They'll be forced to hide from their friends. But there are different ways to go into exile. Yes, we can be forced by others to go into exile, but sometimes we can exile ourselves. We hear today the prophet Jeremiah talk about the Jewish people who were forced into exile by the Babylonians, right? The Babylonian army came, it destroyed Jerusalem, it rounded up anyone with any skill to do something, it dragged them to Babylon and said, you're working for us now. And so the Jews were forced into Babylon, but in Babylon, the Jews had a choice about whether or not to hide. Because that's a legit option, right? You're foreigners in a foreign land, you don't want to be there. The Jews could have said, we're just going to keep our heads down. We're going to do the absolute minimum to survive. We don't want to stand out, because if you stand out, you get destroyed. They could have hidden themselves from the world, and they could have hidden themselves from themselves. They could have said, Let's, let's pretend we're no longer Jewish. Let's forget our identity because our identity makes us different and that will lead to our destruction. Let's pretend we're just the same as everybody else. And that's what some of the parents that Annalisa work with, works with try to do. They try to hide their kid. They try to hide their child's diagnoses. They try to hide the ways in which their child is unique. They try to hide it from teachers and school administrators but in doing so what happens is the kid ends up being hidden from the world because no one knows what the kid's unique needs are and so when the kid starts to struggle in extracurricular activities the parents don't want to own up to what's going on and so instead of addressing the issue they'll just pull their kid from sports or from arts or in the classroom Right? The kid may be really bright, but because they're not getting the support they need to, to show off their gifts, they end up doing poorly in their classroom and they miss out on academic opportunities. And what happens is, by hiding the child from school teachers and administrators, the parents end up hiding the child from family and from friends, and they even end up hiding the child from themselves because the child doesn't know why they're not able to experience all the things the other kids are. They don't know what's unique and special about them. But in contrast to the prohibitions of priests or that sense of self-preservation that tells us to hide, Jesus says to the ten lepers, show yourselves. Jesus says to the lepers, show yourselves to the priests. And what Jesus means by this is go and show yourselves to the people who have the power to declare you clean, who have the power to welcome you into society, to celebrate all the gifts that you bring to the community. That's what Jesus intends to say to these lepers. But when Jesus says, show yourselves to the priests, he doesn't first heal the lepers. He just says, show yourself. Jesus doesn't wave his hands over their leprosy. He doesn't say, hey, go wash in the River Jordan. Jesus doesn't pray over them that they might be healed. He simply says, go show yourselves. 
but the lepers don't know that they've been healed. And so they have no reason to go and show themselves once again to the priest. They have no reason to submit themselves to an examination that could humiliate them and just send them once more into exile. They have no reason to believe Jesus. And so it says they leave him. But the gospel writer tells us that as the ten lepers leave Jesus, they are made clean. It doesn't say that they are healed. It says that as they leave, they are made clean. At Christ's word, all ten lepers are declared to be right with God and worthy of being a part of God's community no matter what is happening with their bodies. But how are the lepers to know this? How are they to know that they no longer need to hide from the priests or from themselves? Well, Jeremiah gives a step-by-step way for the Jews in exile to know that they are clean. You see, for the past few weeks, right, we've been following the prophet Jeremiah. We've heard Jeremiah's prophecies and laments regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. But today, we hear Jeremiah write something completely different. Today, Jeremiah writes a letter to all the Jewish people who were dragged off to exile in Babylon. And the basic message of Jeremiah's letter is show yourselves. Show yourselves because you are made clean, not because you are healed, right? Jeremiah writes to the exiles, your physical status hasn't changed at all. You're still forced to live in a country where you don't want to be. That hasn't changed. You aren't healed. But Jeremiah says to them, you are clean. God declares that you are worthy of being a part of society, that you have gifts, love, and power that should be shared with others. Now, you can imagine for people who have had their whole nation just burned to the ground, it might feel hard for them to say, oh, we are clean, oh, we have something worth showing. And so Jeremiah gives them a way to believe it step by step. He says, start small. He basically says, start by showing yourselves to yourself. Jeremiah says, build homes and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Jeremiah is saying, Let your, show yourself every single day that you have a life worth giving thanks for, that you have the gifts to make a life worth giving thanks for. And then Jeremiah says, take it up another step. Show yourselves to your friends and to your family. Jeremiah says, get married, have kids. Encourage your kids to get married and have grandkids. Jeremiah is saying every single day, show yourselves that you have a loving community worth giving thanks for. And then Jeremiah says, take it up a whole nother step. Jeremiah says to the, the Jews in exile, show yourselves to the whole world. He says, pray for this city, pray for Babylon, right? The Jews hate this city. But he says, pray for them and work for the prosperity of this city. For in its well-being, you will find your own well-being. What Jeremiah is saying is every single day, show yourself that you have the power to make the world a world worth giving thanks for. And that's what the Jewish people do. 
The Jewish people in their 70-some years in exile undergo one of the greatest cultural revolutions of Jewish history. It is a golden age for Jews. Their population grows dramatically, and they have to suddenly wrestle with who they are if they can't be the religion centered around the temple in Jerusalem, and so they start writing the stories that they used to pass down orally from generation to generation about how God made the world, about how their ancestors moved from place to place, suddenly they start writing those stories down and they combine those stories with the histories they have of their kings and they put together what becomes known as the Torah. And because they now have the Torah, they need people to explain to them what the Torah means and how they should apply it to their lives. And so they have teachers who become what we call today rabbis. Rabbis arise in this period because there's no priests to tell the Jews who they are, so teachers have to tell the Jewish people who they are. They write what's called the Talmud, which is the great book of Jewish commentary that explains to Jewish people how do we be faithful to our God outside of Israel. That book not only lays the foundation for modern Judaism, but it lays the foundation for Christians to worship the God of Israel in every nation. This is possible because when Jeremiah says to the Jewish people, show yourselves, they believe him. They show themselves to the world. They show themselves to God, but most of all, they show themselves to themselves because they believe that they are made clean and their faith, it not only makes them well, it transforms the whole world. What Jeremiah does for the Jewish people in exile, my wife tries to do with every parent that she works with. There was a mom who once, after her two-year-old daughter is diagnosed as having autism, the mom says to Annalisa, will my daughter have a good life? Annalisa looks at that mom and says, yes. Look, Annalisa can't heal autism. No one can. But what Annalisa tries to explain to every parent is that they don't need to heal it. They just need to believe that their child has been declared clean, that their child is worthy of a place in our society and in our community, that their child has gifts, has love, has power worth being shared for. And so Annalisa tries to get the parents to show their child, first of all, to themselves and, and to their teachers and to school administrators, to say, if they're honest about that their child is unique with unique gifts and unique needs, they can develop what's called an, an individual educational plan, yeah? Which says, okay, my kid, maybe they struggle with noise distractions, and so they're gonna have headphones on when they're doing classwork. Or maybe my child needs to work with a speech therapist so that they get more confident talking with other people. Or maybe they just need a little more time on tests. Or instead of maybe doing an oral presentation in front of the whole classroom, what they do is they individually demonstrate to the teacher that they have mastery of the skills. What Annalisa is encouraging parents to do is to say every single day, let your child show themselves that they have gifts worth giving thanks for. And then Annalisa says, and let your child show themselves to friends and families. Folks with autism, 
they often have uh, what's called restricted areas of interest, which just means they get really into a subject and that's what they want to talk about all the time. And some parents are like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, right? It can be things like trains, it can be dinosaurs, it can be succulents, you know, like the cacti, yeah. Doesn't matter the topic. Kids with autism, they get really into it. And what Annalisa says to parents is, get into it also. Learn to see the world through your children's eyes, how magical and special it is to them. And even better yet, help your kid meet other folks who've got those same interests, because those folks are out there. Your kid is going to make amazing friends. What Annalisa is saying is every single day, let your child show themselves to a loving community for which they can give thanks. And then Annalisa says, let your child show themselves to the world. Because folks with autism have incredible gifts to give. They often uh, really enjoy understanding how uh, machines fit together and work or how systems are put together. They often enjoy repetitive behaviors that other people find really boring. And so because of that, people on the autism spectrum, they make great mechanics, great engineers, great computer programmers. Uh, there's a, um, a famous author named Temple Grandin. She's got a PhD in, in animal behavior. Um, and she, she estimates that a good half of Silicon Valley is on the autism spectrum. They just don't talk about it, yeah? Elon Musk. He does talk about it. Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live, and in his opening monologue, he said, hey, I'm the first person to be on the autism spectrum to host this show. He's doing pretty well for himself, yeah. And to say, some folks with autism, they're doing well not just for themselves, but for the whole world. Greta Thunberg, the teenage climate activist, she says that her autism helps her focus wholly on climate change when other people would have gotten bored and moved on long ago. And on a personal level, I have a nephew named Brian. I've got a, a picture of me, my dad, my half-sister Nori, and Brian. I've always got another member of my family to tell you about. Don't worry. <laughs> so this is Brian at age seven. At about age five, he was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. To, uh, his his uh, mom, my half-sister, moved to a school district where they would support him, where they would find ways to make sure he got... Um, the encouragement he needed to express his unique gifts and develop who he was. Today, he serves in the U.S. Army, uh, maintaining confidential electronic systems within tanks. Yeah? I'm so proud of Brian. But this is what Annalisa tries to get parents to understand, to let their children show themselves to the world and that they have the power to make a world worth giving thanks for, that if the parents and the kids will just believe that they are clean, their faith will not only make them well, it will transform the whole world. There were ten lepers whom Jesus made clean, but only one of them had the faith to show themselves even to themselves. Only one of them, it says, looked down through his disheveled hair and was willing to show himself his own flesh hidden behind torn rags. But when the leper had the faith to show himself to himself, what he saw was that not only had he been made clean, but that he had been healed. What he saw in himself 
was that he had a life worth giving thanks for, and so he sings praises to God and runs back to Jesus and thanks him. And Jesus says to that leper, your faith has made you well. Your faith that when I said show yourself, you had something worth showing, that you had gifts and love and power that was worth showing not just to the world but to yourself, that has made you well. This is our calling as Christians to help people have the same faith that that man had. We are called to be Jeremiah's letter to the exile. We are called to be my wife's encouragement to parents. We are called to be Jesus' voice to all ten lepers saying, show yourself. We are called to be a voice that speaks to a world that is hurting and hiding because of labels and insults and exile. We are called to be the voice that says to them, show yourself for you have been made clean. For if we believe it, our faith will make us well. And we will see that we have a life worth giving thanks for. Amen.